Revelation chapter number 6, I'm answering some end-time questions, very important questions. This is what John recorded while there on the Isle of Patmos, persecuted for his faith in Jesus. John writes, when he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. These are martyrs and for the testimony which they held. And they, the martyrs, cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Listen to me. This is a real deal here. Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Father, thank you for the amazing future, even for those that have given their lives already for the name of your Son. They will be avenged, and thank you. They will be blessed beyond measure. Thank you for what lies before all of us, the great kingdom of our Christ and of his God. It's far better than what's ever been behind us. So victory comes through your Son. We know that. We stand united today in that victory over the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. I covered a trick question that the enemy attempts to plant into the hearts of people. And that trick question he plants, the question is, how can a loving God send people to hell? That's the question he plants in hearts of people. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He allows each person to choose. And God also reveals himself to every person So every person has a choice. So the really tough question then becomes, how could any person reject a loving God? Because the onus is on us. He's already done the work. We get to choose. In this message today, I want to speak to you about the many questions people have about heaven, the afterlife. Where do we go from here? What's it like? There are all kinds of questions about heaven, like, will my pet be in heaven? (laughs) Some of you may not want your pets in heaven. I don't know. Uh, They are God's creation, and they do bless us. And why wouldn't they be there? There are horses there. There are references to animals throughout the kingdom of Jesus, the lion and the lamb at peace with one another. Now there's a restoration. No longer is there this curse even on the animal kingdom. Will we have bodies in heaven? And because there are some people who have an idea that we're just going to float around on clouds in heaven. Yeah. We're going to morph into angels, which is not biblical. It's not going to happen. That we're going to play harps. And we're going to eat grapes. Weird stuff. Some think we won't have any body at all. That we'll be like ghosts. Well, why would God give robes to people who have no bodies? He puts robes on them. I just read it to you. They are each given a robe, and they're all custom-made. I wonder if my uncle will have anything to do with that. He was just fantastic. Oh, man. Making, yeah, it was good. 1 Corinthians 15. The first man was of earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Now watch. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, 
we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's Jesus he's talking about. So he's trying to describe for us, Paul is, that we do have an earthly body. As Adam had an earthly body, we all have an earthly body. Human beings have an earthly body. Jesus is the model. He had an earthly body as well. God took on an earthly body. He had hunger in that body. He got tired and needed to sleep. His body actually suffered and died a physical death. But Jesus was resurrected in a heavenly body. The heavenly body also walked on the earth. The heavenly body also ate meals. So we can eat in heaven without weight gain issues. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus made fish and chips for his disciples. Maybe that's on the menu. I don't know. In his heavenly body, Jesus walked along the road of Emmaus after his resurrection with several of his disciples and then within moments just disappeared. Jesus' heavenly body walked into a room without using doors or windows. Now that'd be cool, right? We will have a resurrected body as our bodies and spirits reunite at the return of Jesus. In the upper room, Jesus said, touch me. Touch the scars in my hand. Put your hand in the wound in my side. So there's something of the physical body that becomes now, our, out of which comes our heavenly body. Because they're recognizable. There are marks that indicate that's who we are. Read 1 Corinthians 15. The whole chapter speaks about the terrestrial body, the earthly body, and the celestial body, which is our heavenly body, and the differences between the earthly and the heavenly. Some don't realize that the human spirit and your body reunite at the return of Jesus. And look at how we bury people. This gives you some significance of why we do what we do in our culture. We bury people specifically because of the Word of God and according to the Word of God. Our burial patterns in America are related to our Christian heritage. So again, if anybody tells you we're not Christian in our heritage, check them on it. We place our loved ones in the ground. The pastor is always supposed to stand at the head of the casket. And how do I know which direction the head is pointing? It's west. We bury people from, from, from east to west, specifically in that direction. From east to west. We have feet, we have head. Okay? With their feet to the east... Their head to the west. And why do we do that? For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What's that mean? We bury people with the return of Jesus in mind in America. We bury them so when they come up out of the grave, they're facing Jesus when he returns. According to that passage, that's how we have tracked the history of our burials. Well, will we go to heaven immediately upon death? Well, some have taught the concept of what they call soul sleep. Those who die go into a suspended state until the return of Jesus. Well, that's not biblical. The scripture does not teach that. This is what the word of God teaches, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When a believer dies, they immediately go to heaven. Notice that the martyrs who lost their lives for the name of Jesus, they are in heaven. 
They are conscious. They are alive. They are speaking to God. I just read that to you. And the return of Jesus is until later in the book of Revelation. So this is pre-return of Jesus that I read to you from my passage. So the martyrs are in the presence of God immediately. And hear the words of Jesus to the thief who was dying next to him on one of those two crosses. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Immediately, when you're absent from your body, you're present with the Lord. And any believing loved one who passes goes into the presence of the Lord. And for those who have suffered the loss of a child in, during time of prior to birth or at birth or shortly thereafter, they're in the presence of the Lord. They're completely safe in the presence of the Lord. They immediately were transported by his or her angel, because God, Jesus said that God's angel always has his eyes and face turned toward those children, immediately escorted right into the presence of Jesus. You're going to get to see them, know them, and fellowship with them as a part of your family. Will we be able to communicate when we get to heaven? Some people think they're going to just float on clouds. Sitting around, floating around, turned into a little baby on a cloud, don't even know who you are or anybody around you, detached. That's not what heaven's about. Notice the martyrs talk. They speak to God and they speak loudly with a loud voice. Heaven's not going to be like some of the churches you grew up in. God is very old, and we don't want to awaken him. No, that's not heaven. Will we have emotions in our heavenly bodies? Notice that the martyrs cared deeply about what was happening on earth. We are created in the image of God. Your emotions are a part of your soul, and your soul is what's going to go to heaven. So you have a mind, and you're going to have a will, and you'll have emotions. Pastor, because I get to choose again, and I have a will when I get to heaven, will will there be a possibility I'll choose not to serve God? Well, you made your choice. You've already arrived in heaven because you made the right choice And Satan will not be there to tempt you. And in your earthly lifetime, you made the right choice. It is appointed unto men once to die. Okay? It's appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. No U-turns. No coming back for a second try. No. It's very clear in the scripture. You die, and then immediately there's judgment. You come in or you don't. There are no second chances in heaven. So you won't have to worry. Once you've made it, you're in. It's false teaching to teach anything other than that. There's nothing in Scripture that teaches what I just described about these concepts that you you could fall away from the Lord after you've been there. for. No, not going to happen. There's nothing in Scripture that teaches that. We will have emotions. In fact, there is joy in heaven. That's in us. When one sinner repents... That joy will be unspeakable, unimaginable joy, the joy we experience on earth, not comparable to the joy, peace, and the presence of God we get to know in heaven. So God is not emotionless, nor is he sterile. God has emotions. We will as well. 
Will we know everything? Everything. Think about this. Some think we will. Answer is actually no. We'll be on a learning curve. It's a common misconception, even among people in churches today. They put two scriptures together, but those scriptures don't say what they think they say. They say, people will say in churches, well, we will know as he knows. It doesn't say that. It says we will see him as he is. And it says we will know as we are known. And notice something about the martyrs. They ask God a question. When are you going to avenge our blood? They didn't know the future. So they didn't know everything. And God said to them, wait a little longer until everything's taken care of. It'll all come to pass. Jesus said, no one knows when I will return except the Father. So those who have died and gone on to be with the Lord, they don't know when Jesus is coming back either. Only the Father. And by the way, your neighbor passing out tracts with the date of Jesus' return printed on them is misinformed. Okay. And here are two verses that people misunderstand. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And I will begin to learn why things tracked the way they did, because I can't quite see them all well right now. It's saying, I, I will know others, and they will know me. It's not saying, I will know everything. First John says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we shall know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll be like him in that we have a heavenly body like his. In other words, we will have an eternal heavenly perspective. We will see things as he sees them. When it says we will be like him, it's like Adam and Eve, okay? They were created in the image of God. And when, before they fell in their sin, <clears throat> they were perfect in their ways. And God will restore that position to us through second Adam, Jesus. We will be part of him. They were created in the image of God. But understand, Adam and Eve were not omniscient. They didn't know everything. God came and taught them every day with full capacity that they had that supersedes our capacity because we're under the curse, been under the curse. They still needed to be taught. We will never know all God knows. There's no limit to his knowledge. So while we will ever be with him, we will ever be learning from him. That's what's great about heaven, because if you arrived there and you knew everything, there'd be nothing new to learn or to explore or to discover. So they might as well make you a little baby with grapes and a harp. We will be discovering truth for the rest of eternity. We will never delve the depths of the knowledge because his knowledge is unlimited. We'll be able to travel at the speed of thought. We'll visit places the Hubble telescope has never seen. And we will forever enjoy the creation of God, and we'll be learning from him about his kingdom and the knowledge that he shares with us. We will know what is happening. Will we know what's happening on earth? When we're there, will we know what's still happening on earth? Yes. We will have the heavenly perspective. Because <clears throat> the martyr said... When will you avenge our blood? They knew that their blood had not yet been avenged. And they were saying, the ones who did this are still walking around. 
When are you going to deal with them and avenge our blood? So we get to understand what is happening on earth from a heavenly perspective. So that's why you have in Hebrews 12, and if you forgot that there's a, just forget that there's even a chapter division between 12 and 13, and 11 and 12, and 13, and just read it as one big passage, because that's what it really is. And here's what it starts out in 12.1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that comes right after God is speaking to us about his hall of faith. And he's listed all the Old Testament and New Testament saints who have gone to be with the Lord. Some have been martyred and put to death, and others by faith overcame, uh, even in this world, and all the things that they've been able to achieve by faith, by faith, by faith. And he describes them and goes right into saying to us, and now we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. They're witnessing what's going on right now. They're cheering us on. So watch. You have people in heaven, family and friends, going on before you, and they are cheering you on right now. And he describes that as a Greek amphitheater. And everybody in the seats and stands is looking at you on the field of play and cheering for your success. So Jesus said, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Again, this is before the return of Jesus. And he said, when a person is born again, word reaches the saints of heaven, and there's joy in heaven, especially for your family and friends who've gone on before you, because they're probably saying with joy, thank God, I never thought that guy was going to get saved. He was so hard-headed. Then they'll throw a party celebrating your redemption. Will we remember our lives on earth? Very simple answer to that. The martyrs remembered they were murdered. Well, how did you die? The terrorist right there. He killed me. That's why I'm here now. And that person that was martyred is in heaven right now, and they remember their lives. The recent martyrs are remembering their lives. Abraham said to the rich man in hell, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things? He remembered. This other man received evil things, the beggar. He didn't get good things. And he said, Remember? And they remembered. And most theologians believe this. So do I. In heaven, our memories will make us grateful. If you've got nothing to compare heaven with, why would you appreciate it if you can't draw the contrast between where you are now and where you used to be in, on earth? Why would you appreciate it? But our, in heaven, our memories make us grateful. In hell, memories will torment people. They will remember they had a chance, and they refused God's love and his mercy. So yes, we will have memories of our lives on earth, whether we are in heaven or in hell. Will we know people? Yes. Some people think that when we get to heaven, we're all going to be kind of isolated and not know anybody. And all kind of strangers trying to figure out who's that. Well, get to nice to meet you. No, then I shall know just as I also am known. We will truly know people. We don't truly know people on earth. We think we do, but there we will finally understand people. 
comprehend them. For sure your wife is going to say that to you. Wow, finally, (laughs) we will truly get to know people. And for sure, surprise, there will be some people there you didn't think would be there. And you're going to look at them and go, you made it. Whoa, and their response is, you made it. Whoa, we finally know people. Amen. And here's Jesus on the subject. And I will say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize what you just read in that little passage Jesus made? You will be sitting down with Abraham. You're going to get to say to Abraham, what was going through your mind when you were walking out Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac? You'll be able to sit down with Moses and let him explain to you his trekking through 40 years of wilderness of David and Deborah and Ruth and Samuel and Ezekiel. You'll sit down with these wonderful people and listen to them tell you the stories. And you're going to get to tell them your story of how Jesus came looking for you, found you, changed your life. I preached about most of the people in the Bible. There's some fantastic stories you're going to hear when you sit down with them in the heavenlies. I shared the good, the bad, and the ugly. because like God does because he tells the whole story. And I trust I've remained true to the word of God about their lives. And Peter, that's going to be an interesting conversation. We'll have a lot of fun with his conversation. My goodness. Blurting stuff out without thinking. Notorious for this. Jesus comes walking on the water in the middle of a storm toward their fishing boat, and they're scrambling, wondering if they're going to survive. And Jesus calls to his disciples as he's walking on the waves in the storm, don't be afraid, it is I. Peter responded, Lord, if it's you, (laughs) and the Lord thinks, I just said. (laughs) Peter, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Come on. Excuse me? (laughs) On the Mount of Transfiguration up in northern Israel, Moses and Elijah show up. They come out of the heavenlies and they meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses is gone now for several thousand years. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets ever, who does not die a physical death, was translated into the presence of the Lord. And once again in the book of Revelation, those two are going to appear... And we're probably in the time frame when we may get to see that happen, both Elijah and Moses, and and they're going to appear once again. But there they appeared with Jesus during the time he was training his disciples. And Jesus is transfigured right before Peter, James, and John. What What does that mean? Jesus took off his flesh. Jesus took off his earth suit, his earthly body, and the glory of God was standing there on the mountain. I mean, I... You're not even going to talk, right? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are speaking together, and he's totally in his glory. You can't even look. And in the middle of this, Peter says, it's a good thing I'm here. Really? (laughs) It didn't make any difference that you were there, Peter. And he just blurts this stuff out. As a matter of fact, he says, and then Peter answered. Well, no one even asked him a question. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Yeah, probably is, Peter. Now watch this. A little bit, a little bit earlier, this is Peter. 
That's why we're going to have so much fun with these characters when we sit down with them. When, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. Wow. So Jesus is saying, this is a miracle, Peter. (laughs) You got it right. (laughs) You figured this out. Yay, Peter, this is a miracle. Because just a few verses later, Jesus is telling him, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to give my life a ransom. And Peter right away goes, be it far from you, Lord. You cannot go do that. That's not for you to do. We will not let, and Jesus has to look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. Okay. What great stories and what great times we're going to share. Yeah, we will know people in heaven. We will. Will heaven be boring? No, (laughs) not at all. Do you realize that Satan has put out a lie that heaven will be the most boring church service you will ever be in and it will last forever? That's the lie he's marketed. That hell is going to be fun. It's going to be an exciting party place. And some say, well, I don't want to go to heaven because none of my friends are going to be there. That's foolish. They'll say, I'd rather go to hell with my friends. They think hell's going to be a fun place. No, it will not. That's amazing blindness that the enemy has placed on people. Heaven heaven has been losing the marketing battle for souls because we have not done an effective job of describing heaven to people. Those who are going to heaven, many of them don't even know enough to invite somebody to go with them. Like people today, they'll go, this is a great restaurant, you need to go to this restaurant. Where is it? Not sure. What kind of food do they serve? I'm not sure either. Have you ever been there? No, but you need to go there. Well, what's their menu like? Don't know much about it, but I hear it's great. You just really need to go. That's how some Christians witness. They just don't know how. Listen, listen to me. You need to know where you're going and why you're going there. You need to understand this because the more we understand heaven, the more motivated we are to be sure our family and our friends all get there. The more we understand about hell, the more motivated we are to get people to never go there. John Sanchez's brother is a minister. Let every one of his family members, including John, to the Lord. John's in heaven today because of his brother's witness to him, who sat down with him time and time again and opened the Bible and showed him how important it is that he turn his life to Jesus. Boldness, unashamed and unafraid. He said, I was witnessing like that to one of my sisters in the dining room of our home. He said, she just was stubborn. She didn't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to this. this was, he said, we were a religious family, but we didn't know Jesus. We had religion, but we didn't know Jesus. We didn't have a personal understanding of what he did for us personally, individually. So he said, I looked at my sister and I said, well, then you're going to go to hell. And she looked at me and says, how can you say that to me? 
Why would you say to me, go to hell? Because that's what you're going to do by rejecting Jesus. You're choosing to go to hell. And it woke her up, snapped her into reality. And she came to know Jesus because she needed to know. And he, we need to be prepared to share the story of Jesus and the truth about heaven and the truth about hell. Heaven is the most spectacular place in all of God's creation. Heaven is amazing. You get to run up a thousand steps without losing your breath. You never get tired. You never need any sleep. Thank you, Lord. It's a waste of time. It is. You get to travel across the universe at the speed of thought. Every day I get to eat chocolata boca. All day. I never gain a pound. What is that, Pastor? That's chocolate kiss gelato. She likes it more than I. Yeah. <laughs> Let me read you some insights into heaven from the book 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper. And always a word of caution. It's the experience of one person. It's not the equivalency of Scripture. Okay? If it agrees with Scripture, it's great to ingest. And this man was dead for 90 minutes, and he came back. That's an impossibility unless it's supernaturally done. And he said this, quote, As I try to explain heaven, my words seem weak and hardly adequate because... I have to use earthly terms to refer to unimaginable joy, excitement, warmth, and total happiness. Everyone continually embraced me, touched me, spoke to me, laughed, and praised God. And he said, this went on for a long time, but I didn't tire of it. My father, he said, is one of 11 children. Some of his brothers and sisters had as many as 13 children. And when I was a kid, our family reunions were so large we rented the entire city park in Monticello, Arkansas. We Pipers are affectionate with a lot of hugging when we came together. And none of those earthly family reunions prepared me for the sublime gathering of the saints that I experienced at the gates of heaven. Those who gathered at Monticello were some of the same people who were waiting for me at the gates of heaven. Heaven was many things, but without a doubt, it was the greatest family reunion of all time. Everything I experienced was like a first-class buffet for the senses. I had never felt such powerful embraces or feasted my eyes on such beauty. Heaven's light and texture defy earthly eyes or explanation. Warm, radiant light engulfed me. As I looked around, I could see, I, I, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything I had ever seen. And with all the heightened awareness of my senses... I felt as if I had never heard, seen, or felt anything so real before. Never in my happiest moments had I felt so fully alive. That's what he writes about his entry to the gate of heaven. Now, that should make everybody want to be there. Watch the description of heaven in Revelation 21. A little description. By the way, the New Jerusalem is 1,400 miles long. It's 1,400 miles wide. And it's 1,400 miles high. It's a perfect cube. And here's what John said. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is after all judgments are finished, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, saying to John, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Wow! We will have access to the Father 24-7. One of the greatest aspects of heaven will be the fellowship of the believers. The worst thing about hell is there'll never be any access to the Father. Ever. There will be no fellowship whatsoever. There will be total isolation. So next time your friend says, well, I want to go to hell because all my friends are going to be there and we're going to have a big old party, explain to them, no, there won't be a party. There'll be weeping and wailing and grinding of teeth and being burned in a fire that never goes out. And you will be totally isolated for eternity. It's total darkness. You will never experience the presence of God again, ever. Well, who's going to be in heaven? Who will be there? Revelation 21, and he said, it's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Next chapter, he said, in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts say, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Come. Paul wrote, wrote to the Roman church, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So who's going to be there? Who's going to go to heaven? Those who acknowledge Jesus, the Son of God, was the substitute for their sins. That he died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, they believe upon him. They call upon his name. Everyone who does that will be there. And today, you have the opportunity to accept or reject the gift of God. Always your choice. He wants everyone to accept it because he's not willing that any end up in hell. But all become part of his family. So this becomes the day of somebody's salvation. Opportunity to secure your place in heaven. Not accepting him only as your Savior, but as your Lord. Salvation, I accept him as my Savior. The next step I take after that, he becomes my Lord. I follow him for the rest of my life. Well, Pastor, I've tried that. I, I just can't do that. You're right. You can't do it. But God can do it in you. You give him permission. You surrender your will. And according to his promise, you receive a new heart, a new nature, and a new spirit. And then he gives you a desire and an ability to walk together with him.
you're not sure you're going to heaven when you die, if you're not sure where you're going, but you really want to go to heaven, you don't want to live in isolation forever, tormented by your memories, by the pain of punishment. Let me help you. Somebody help me. I'll be forever grateful. And let me help you. So stand with me right now.